everything you do, do it for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to read the first 13 verses and then you can be seated while I read the rest. But listen to this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I do not want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. That's an amazing verse. And that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil. So that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble, as some of them, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experienced and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. You may be seated. Verse 14. So, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. You are reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I'm saying is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, which we'll be doing next week, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating the sacrifices at the altar? What am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance? Or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. What? Do we dare to rouse the Lord's jealousy? Do you think we're stronger than he is? You say, I am allowed to do anything. But not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything's beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So... You may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. 
eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But suppose someone tells you, hey, this meat was offered to an idol. Well, then don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it certainly is for them. It is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, here's our key verse today, 31, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I, too, try to please everyone and everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Wow. I mean, was this a big deal or what? I mean, here we go again. More time we're going to spend on food offered to idols. Week after week after week. This is what we've been talking about. But here's what we all need to really be asking ourselves. Are there any modern day American idols <laughs> that we give any place in our lives? Now listen to me very carefully. I'm going to slap you right here. Anyone who roots for any other team in the NFL other than the Cowboys, you are in idolatry. You're worshiping idols. There's, there's, uh, I can't, let me see what the verse is that it's okay to root for the Cowboys. It's in here somewhere, I know. You know, Somebody just mentioned Kansas City. You know they're the Dallas Texans. <laughs> they are. They, I rooted for them as a little boy, and then Lamar Hunt moved them to Kansas City and changed their name, but they are the Dallas Texans. Nah, sorry, I'm just messing around today, but probably a good question to really ask ourselves is, what do I love more than Jesus? And since love is spelled T-I-M-E, let me re-ask the question this way. Where do you spend most of your time? What consumes your thoughts? You know, there's something that I see happening everywhere I go. And in fact, I, I'm involved in it myself with little grandkids sometimes. Our little kids, our kids are locked into their electronic games, their phones. It's serious. Please, please. It's called digital cocaine. That's how powerful it is. Their time on their iPads, their cell phones, and their computers must be limited. Parents, stop using it as your all-time babysitter. There's a movie that just came out that I haven't seen it, but I, I read about it. It's called Megan. And Megan is a, she's a artificial intelligent babysitter. And the whole message is... The kid ends up loving Megan more than her family, or his family. I'm not sure if it's a boy or a girl that's being babysat. And that's happening. Stop it. <laughs> and again, I, believe me, I know. I, when Pam and I watched our three little ones, uh, there were times for our own sanity. Here, have this iPad. <laughs> Go sit over there and watch this movie for an hour. 
I need an hour. I need a break. Whew. So I get it. But here's the problem. As Americans, and, and it's probably happening in, in other countries, listen, we get cocky sometimes. We get overconfident. We think, hey, we're spiritual enough. We love Jesus. We go to church. We do things for God. And, and we forget sometimes to do what God told us to do in the book of Deuteronomy. When you get up, talk about Jesus. When you go to bed, talk about Jesus. When you're sitting at the family table, talk about Jesus. When you're walking around your neighborhood together, try to figure out how to involve Jesus Christ in the conversation. Don't get cocky. That's point number one. And today, this is why Paul is giving them this history lesson. Verses 1 through 8, Paul wants to remind them about his Jewish ancestors who also became somewhat overconfident when they were out in the wilderness. Now, could you imagine this? Imagine being guided by a cloud every day, knowing that Yahweh God is the one providing that direction. Here goes the cloud. Oh, it's time to pack up. Here we go. We've got to stay with the cloud. I know some of y'all are like me. You'd be out there following that cloud, and then you'd look over and go, ooh, I'd I, Lord, I, uh, I'm going this way. Uh, I'll try to catch you later, you know. Don't do that. <laughs> he loves us. He's there to guide us. He's there to instruct us. He's there to help us along the way. And it would just be so cool if it was that direct until it wasn't cool. Until you said, uh, uh, hey, Lord, I'm, not, I, I'm going this way. We're talking about people who walked on dry land with walls of water, huge, probably as, as big as the, to the ceiling here in our sanctuary. Water, walls, they walked through on dry land, through the Red Sea, and their lives were spared. Now... The Holy Spirit calls that a baptism. They were baptized into this lifestyle of following Moses throughout the wilderness. And did you know that while they were out there, they drank water from a huge rock that followed them around? Verse 4 says, that rock was Christ. So what was their problem? Well, same problem the Corinthians had. Same problem you and I have today. The problem is this flesh. The problem is we all have this tendency to crave evil. We want to fit in. We want to do what everybody else is doing. What's missing when you as a believer live your life like that? It's probably something in the area of the intangibles. There's something missing in your joy. There's something missing in your peace, passing understanding. There's something missing in the way you love. The Lord, if you still have that strong pull to the things of the world, then go back and say, Lord, deepen me in your love. Help me to have your joy. Peace that passes understanding. I had a, uh, when I was in my third year of playing professional baseball, I found this one young man on my team who was one of our pitchers. He was from Puerto Rico, and his name was Carlos, and I said, uh, I found out he wanted to study the Bible. We did, every day. We studied the Bible. He didn't speak real good English. I didn't speak real good Spanish. 
We did the Bible study in Spinglish. ¿Cómo se dice? ¿Qué es esto? Aquí. Oh, sí. Es agua fría. Mmm, muy bueno. Anyway, Carlos got so excited about Jesus. I, I was just studying the Bible and telling him what I knew. And he got so, the Lord deepened his love, his joy, his peace so much that his roommate asked him, what happened to you? And he says, Jesus. And, and the roommate goes, why don't you smoke dope with me anymore? And the, he, he just said, I don't need it. I, I, that mellow feeling I'm looking for, I have it all the time. And so his roommate says, can I go to a Bible study with you? And, and so he asked me, I was like, ugh. You know, because I'd been burned like all these guys that were coming to Jesus, making commitments to Christ in the, the two years prior, but they still lived like hell. So they'd get up at a banquet and say, I gave my life to Jesus. And then they'd go out and sleep with some girl that they just met. You know, it was ridiculous. I was so burnt on that. And I, it, it did cause me. I said, Lord, you know, I, I witnessed to all of them the first year. The second year we had baseball chapel. We had 50 decisions for Christ. Every Sunday we'd invite the other team over and we'd have a, a Bible study. And, and I, you know, it was just great, except it wasn't. And so the Lord <clears throat> told me, why don't you just do what I did? And I'm like, what's that? Said, just spend time with a few. <sighs> so like, okay, he can come. Well, they, the two of them get so excited about Jesus that they lead two others. So now there's five of us. By the end of the year, when we would travel, we would get to our hotel room, and our manager would come out and say, all right, Greer's in room 313, for those of you going to whatever he does in there. <laughs> Um, out of 25 young men, 13 of those young men came to the Lord and became disciples. One of those young men named Don Carmen went on to be the chaplain in the big leagues. He made it to the big leagues and several of those guys have great testimonies today. To God be all of the glory. I want to show you a picture right now of uh, my kitchen, our kitchen, Pam and I. Uh... Life is hard. <laughs> uh, we found water damage underneath our sink, and it had gone into the cabinets, and now it's leaking under our tile, and it's just a mess. Oh, ugh. Our kitchen's torn up. We, we can't get in there. We have to eat elsewhere constantly. You know, it's like, you know how you're heading to the sink to get some water, and you're like, oh, I don't have a sink. It's weird. And so we've been really struggling with this, you know. And right, in the, right, right at the beginning of it, I get word from Oklahoma. I have a dear friend there named Tom Green. He's 69 years old, three years older than me. We've done a lot of ministry together through the years. And Tom had, I heard this past week, Tom was at home by himself, died, heart attack. He's in heaven. They've already had his funeral. Uh, Vic and Sarah just told you what they're going through. I don't have any problems. Hardship in life is about perspective. We had to repent for our complaining. Getting your kitchen torn up and taken away from you for a couple of weeks is nothing compared to what the Tom Green family is facing today. 
compared to what Vic and Sarah are going through. Let's continue, all of us, to pray diligently for Vic and Sarah. But these Israelis wandering in the wilderness were allowing their present hardships to cause amnesia. When it came to all the ways the Lord had shown up for them historically. They grumbled, they revolted, they fornicated, they died from snake bites. It would seem that those with the greatest privileges become susceptible to the greatest temptations. Look at verse 12. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. It's only a passionate love for Jesus and a deep desire to live a holy life that's going to keep you from falling headlong into sin. Some people want to just receive God's forgiveness rather than his permission. But friends, I'm telling you today, let's be vigilant. Let's take heed lest we fall. Do you hear yourself over and over grumbling and complaining? It could be that you're comparing yourself to others and you feel like you come up short. But listen, no matter how tough your life is today, you aren't hiding so you can sneak into a Bible study somewhere in a country where they won't let you do that out in the open. You're here attending a worship service. You're not starving. You really can't starve in America. Go dig into the, the trash bins behind the restaurant. You can't starve here. But let me tell you, can I tell you a quick story about when uh, one day I, I had a banquet. And uh, I had invited 100 people to the banquet. And I had 100 tickets and I had, I had 20 green tickets, I had 70 brown tickets, and I had 10 black tickets. And I just passed them out. Whoever said they were coming, here, here's your ticket. Just random. I didn't know who got what. We came to the banquet, though, and I did know about how to set this banquet up. At the head table, elaborately uh, decorated, fine china, uh, wonderful food, as much as they wanted. Those 20 with the green tickets got treated like royalty. If they wanted seconds, yeah, they got whatever they wanted. Well, the 70 were out here. They got tables and they got chairs, but it was all barren. No, nothing was decorated. It was just, and they got a bowl of soup. While the people that got the black tickets, we didn't even give them a place to sit. They stood around the walls going, what is going on here? We didn't give them anything to eat. Now, we, didn't, we had plenty of food. We didn't tell anybody anything. The people sitting at the head table, if they wanted to, they could have gone and, and taken food to whoever they wanted to. They, we could have fed everybody. But the people at the head table, all 20 of them, just laughed, showed them their food, pointed at them. And, and the, oh, the people that got the bowl of soup were mad. And the people with black tickets, they, they were too dumbfounded to be upset. They didn't know what was going on. Well, after the, the dinner, we went, one guy, I remember one guy, he had four helpings. And he laughed so hard. We got to the sanctuary, and I go, all right, let me tell you what that was. And then some of the people at the, uh, in the, with the brown ticket at the bowl of soup sitting there said, uh, 
We don't want to know what happened. That was ridiculous. How would you do, why would you ever do that? That was, they were so mad. They were so upset. I said, whoa, time out. Hold on. The person you want to be mad at is who? The people at the green table and you. And I was like, that's exactly right. Guess who sits at the green table in the world today? Anybody who lives in America, you sit at the green table. 70% of the world barely gets to eat, and 10%, they don't get anything. So if you're going to get mad at somebody today, get mad at yourself. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we live really good, privileged lives. But you get yourself in trouble when you look around and you, you see somebody that has more than you. But look bigger. Look at the big picture. We are gloriously blessed. But you will be tested. Rest assured, there's a test coming your way. Oh, I already went through one. You got another one coming. And there are no unique tests. Someone has already been through what you're about to face. These tests come our way not to make us fall, but to see us emerge stronger. That's what God wants from us. That, that's why you're tested. So you can grow. So you can be more of a person imitating him so that when others see you, they see him and they want what you have. They want to have a relationship with him. Point number two, very quickly, God will make a way. That's what the scriptures are saying today. In contrast to the warning that Christians will face difficult temptations, God provides us with three of the most wonderful promises we'll ever find. God promises us today, number one, that he's going to limit how severely we will be tested. Number two, he promises he'll provide you a way out. And number three, he'll give you the endurance to successfully take that way out. There's a commentator named Leon Morris. In 1979, he wrote the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. And here's what he said. He said, concerning the way out, the background on this is that the way out is the imagery of an army trapped in the mountains, which makes a speedy escape from an impossible situation through a pass. Now I'm going to tell you about this literally. There's a man named V. Gilbert Beers. He is an editor for, he was years ago, editor for Christianity Today. He tells this story that back in the 1600s, I believe it was, maybe 1700s, early 1700s, his family members were captured by, uh, this is up in upper state New York, and there was an Indian tribe, and there was warring going on between the Indians and the, and the white people, and, and this, his family, his, his great, 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 great grandmother and her daughter were captured and taken away up into the mountains, and they had posses out looking for them. They were trying to find them. They couldn't find them. And then his grandmother and, and her daughter were placed on the stake to be burned. And you know what they did? That mom looked at her daughter and said, Honey, let's worship Jesus. 
And they started to sing. They sang hymns. They sang praises. Well, guess what? The posse heard through the pass them singing, came and rescued them. And V. Gilbert Beers said, I would not even be here had my great, 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 great grandmother hadn't worshipped the Lord. But I want to tell you today that I don't care what it is you have to go through. God will prepare for you and make a way out. You just have to take it. Take the way out. That's what we're saying here today. What's going to be your way out? Well, when it comes to idolatry or any type of sexual temptation, your way out is to run. Flee. You'll be in other situations where you got to use your head. Uh-oh, I, I, this, this is very tempting here. Listen, don't try to face it alone. Be accountable. Pick up the phone. Call a close believer friend saying, man, I'm right here at the point of temptation. I, I need you to pray for me. And then thirdly, you know, if sometimes you're going to face satanic, demonic things. And what are we commanded to do when we face those things? We are commanded to stand. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Jesus Christ has made you free and do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. So what do you do? You, you run or you, you get help from a fellow believer or you stand up and say, I'm not going to take it from you, evil one, in the name of Jesus Christ. And you know what happens? He has to flee from you. Hallelujah. Okay. So the Apostle Paul today, he's, he's, he's doing a beautiful thing. He, he's appealing to our conscience. You know what the conscience is? In Hebrew, there's, there's just no such word. In Greek, the word is sunedesin. And sunedesin means to know with. All right? So the whole idea here is that, that you will know what's right and wrong when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He now connects so strongly with your conscience that you'll know exactly what to do and what not to do. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, uh, it's, it's talking about our heart. So, follow your heart would be the equivalent of follow your conscience. But the key here is that we constantly know with God's help what his perfect view of right and wrong really is. But the human knowing is fallible. The biblical idea is that we have a moral awareness with God. The Holy Spirit guides our conscience, and our conscience guides us into truly knowing right from wrong. Listen, one reason why our world is in such a mess right now is that people think they know what's best without God's intervention. What are we ever going to do about these professors in our institutes of what they call higher learning, where their only goal is to destroy the faith of one of our young people that ends up at these universities? Because they think they're God. They think they do everything they can to destroy a child's faith because there couldn't possibly be a God. There's no God. I'm God. 
and uh, you don't need anything else. Christians, we must constantly rely on the power of Jesus Christ through his precious Holy Spirit to help us live holy lives, to teach us how to overcome temptation. Because I'm telling you that temptation, some people thought, oh, well, you know, and you've heard this rationalization through the years. Um, that one was just too hard. Nobody ever has resisted that temptation. That's not true. Uh, well, this one was so unique to me personally. I fell and, and nobody could have gotten through that. That's a lie. It's not what this book says. The Holy Spirit through Paul is demolishing rationalizations. And look at it here in verse 13 today. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. In the original Greek, the first word of the sentence and the last word receive the most emphasis. Temptation is the first word in verse 13. And endure is the last word. So that's... That's the emphasis here. Uh, Greek word is pyrasmus, and it refers to a very strong test, which most people fail by trying to overcome in their own strength. And so God's promise is that we will be able to endure. And listen very carefully. It's not a promise that we can endure the temptation, but that we will be able to have the strength to take the way out. That's how we're going to get through it. The Bible's very clear. Different types of temptations require different ways out. For temptations on the desire of the flesh, such as idolatry and immorality, said it already. What do you do? Flee. Jesus overcame this temptation when he was tempted to turn stones into bread to overcome his hunger. Then he was bribed and falsely promised that he could gain all the glory of the world if he would just worship the devil. And in that temptation, you know, you either are going to seek your own glory or you're going to seek to glorify God. And those of us who want to glorify God, we're going to overcome any temptation like that because we continue to walk in faithfulness, humility, and mercy. Point number three today, rely on the rock. I want us to come to a deeper understanding of verse 4 this morning about the rock that supplied water to the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. It was in Exodus 17. They're out there, and they don't have any water, and they're complaining about it, and they're telling Moses, look, they were at Mount Sinai. They're in that area. We need something to drink. Did you bring us out here to kill us? And God told Moses, go strike that rock. And from the rock, water flowed to provide everything they needed to feed their animals, everything. The water was supplied. Now you get this, right? The rock that he struck was Jesus. And from that rock, their needs were supplied until they weren't. Because go all the way 40 years later now. And here they are again. Miriam just died. This is in uh, Numbers chapter 20. And 
Moses again goes to Yahweh, and Yahweh says to Moses, this time, don't strike the rock, speak to the rock. Don't strike it like you did the first time, because I've got a real lesson here I want everybody to learn. But Moses is so upset at these people after 40 years. They haven't learned their lesson. And he goes over, and what does he do? He hits the rock twice out of anger. And guess what? Moses had to be disciplined for his disobedience, and he was not allowed to enter the promised land. What do you say? You know what? After all he went through, that's pretty harsh. Yeah, but when God's trying to get a point across, you better do things his way. So, you come to, you know, if those were the only two references to that rock, you know, we may not put much stock in it, but I'm telling you, look at this. 1 Corinthians 10.4, all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock, the rock, was Christ. The reason why Moses got disciplined so harshly for striking the rock was because this was a type of the crucifixion. And Christ died one time for our sins. And Christ was crucified one time on the cross. But when Moses struck the rock the second time and then struck it twice, he distorted the type, the, the lesson that God wanted to get across, the message. This was the message of the cross. And, and the message got distorted, and it was suggesting that Christ could possibly die more than once for our sins, that he'd be crucified more than once. But Christ died once for all sins, and no further sacrifice can be made than the one time that he was crucified. This rock, ladies and gentlemen, the rock, was in some way a manifestation of the angel of the Lord to follow the children of Israel through the wilderness the entire time they were out there. A fourth and final point, not everything is beneficial. So I want to return right now to the argument going on. The, Christian, the, the Corinthian Christians wanted to eat meat sacrificed to idols. In chapter 8, Paul argued that their freedom should not be used for sin. In chapter 9, he showed his own example of giving up his own rights and freedoms to maximize his efforts to save the most people. Now, here we are in chapter 10, and he is explaining to the Corinthians how the children of Israel experienced tremendous miracles, and yet were still unfaithful to Yahweh and committed idolatry over and over again. In verse 7, it says they worshiped the golden calf. They were idolaters. They sat to eat and drink, and then they rose up to play. When they sat to eat, they were eating meat that had been sacrificed to that golden calf. When they rose up to play, they participated in immorality. How many of you know idolatry and immorality go hand in hand? When a person's involved in one, such as idolatry, they will always become involved in the other, immorality. The worship of idols leads to immorality, and the life of immorality leads to idolatry. The Corinthians' desire to continue in idolatry is a direct challenge to Jesus Christ in their lives, the source of every spiritual blessing. That's what 
the Bible means when it said that rock followed them. Everywhere they went, he was their source and still is today. He's our source of spiritual blessing. And we need to find that message today, not just in the Old Testament, but we find it here today in the New Testament. And for the Christian, this is Paul's entire argument for chapter 8, 9, 10, and then what's listed as chapter 11, verse 1, which is really, really should still be in uh, the last verse of chapter 10. Look at verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ, just as some of them tempted and perished by snakes. This happened in Numbers chapter 21, where the people complained about their lack of food and water, although Moses had provided water from the rock in Numbers chapter 20. Back in the first century Greek society, did you know that people were, were really locked into demons? Not, I mean, just the Greek people. They thought there was a deep demon behind every spring, every grove, every mountain, every tree, every stream, every pool, every rock. Had its own assigned demon. Sounds like some Pentecostals I know. Matter of fact, <laughs> tell you a, a fun story. My, uh, when Pam and I were pretty newly married, I had read this book that was just like this. Oh, there's a demon everywhere, and you just have to go after it. So your whole life is just slaying demons. And I bought it, hook, line, and sinker. And I came home, and I said, Pam, come here. we got to pray. Come on. Come on. we got to pray. And uh, so, oh, she didn't want to do it. She knows how crazy I am. I go, come on. Okay. So we're sitting on, on the bed, both like got our knees under us, and I'm like, okay, 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 Pam, everybody has a demon. You have one, and we're going to pray that thing out right now, right now. Close your eyes. No, Randy, I'm not doing this. Come on. Humor me. All right. Close your eyes. I'm like, what's it? All right. You, I'm going to pray, and, and when you hear, the Lord will tell you what that demon's name is, and you just call it out, and all of a sudden I hear, Randy. Cured me of all of my demon chasing. I love that woman. Keeps my feet on the ground. They thought these demons flashed in the lightning, were in every ray of the sun, heaved in the earthquake and the storm. But because of their grumbling, they were bitten by snakes. So what happened? Moses raised the brass snake, and anyone who looked at the snake was saved. The spiritual lesson here is that salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life come to us through Jesus Christ being raised up on the cross. Because we've all been bitten by sin. We all have the venom of death and eternal separation from God that's flowing within us. But I'm here to tell you, anyone who looks directly at Jesus who was raised up on the cross, will be saved from their sins, will never experience the second death, and will have eternal life from the moment he or she puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 John 12, 32. And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That's the message. 
of the brass pole and the, the snake on the pole. And don't let anybody fool you. It's not a Greek myth. It's that story in the Bible that they chose back when they chose that emblem for people that were going to be involved in the medical profession. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. So Paul, what's he doing? He's, he's going from appealing to their sense of love, agape love, to flat out prohibiting them from participating in idolatry. And it is equated with, uh, he equated eating and drinking with, with eating and drinking with demons. So he acknowledges that idols are nothing, and then he goes on to say, when you eat meat sacrificed to idols, you're participating in demonic activity. Verse 20 and 21, but the things they sacrificed are to demons and not to God. I do not wish you to become fellowshippers with demons. Here's my concern, is that we as believers today get involved in other forms of idolatry, idolatry, thinking that we're free to do so because we have freedom in Christ and that whatever that activity is, it's neutral. Listen, the Holy Spirit is warning us today about the dangers of anything else becoming more important in our lives than our relationship with Jesus. It has to be number one, so number one that there's nothing else that compares to our walk with Christ. And we are to flee idolatry. We are to flee immorality. And I believe this is a very serious and timely warning to our church today. Paul concludes this long argument with this marvelous statement in chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as also I am of Christ. What's he saying? He's telling all of us, imitate the spiritual lessons of chapter 8, 9, and 10. He's telling all of us, imitate me, Paul says, uh, as one displaying agape love towards other believers, other believers and, and, and places the interest of others before his own interests. He's encouraging all of us to persistently and boldly pursue others to get saved so they can be gained for Jesus Christ. Forgo your own freedoms and rights if that's going to interfere with your witness to non-Christians. If that's going to inhibit you from leading people to Christ, we should voluntarily place ourselves under the law of Christ. I want you right now to um, think about someone. I hope you're planning on coming to the dinner theater and you're buying your ticket, 10 bucks, great meal. But don't come, I mean come, but, but try not to come Unless you're bringing somebody with you who doesn't know Jesus. That's the whole idea behind why we do this. Now, it's good. It's great fellowship. It's fun. And, and again, don't, don't stay away. Uh, be scaffolding. At least help us, you know, be here. Uh, but the key is for all of us. So, so here's what I've been doing in small groups. So in the, in the staff, we go around the staff table. 
and we pray for the person that we want to come with us to the, to the dinner theater. And so I, I've had a little bit of success, but not a lot. I've, I've invited people every time, but uh, only one time have I had somebody come. And this time I'm, I'm praying for this young man across the street from where I live. And yesterday we had six hours of fasting and prayer. Folks, could I just please encourage you? It's not that tough. It's on the Zoom call. And nobody's on the video. I don't want you to see what I look like on Saturday. And I don't want to see what you look like on Saturday. But could you just get on the call? It's on our website, crying out loud. We, we pray from 10 to 4. We miss the noon meal. It's, it's like going to the gym. It, it's like before, it's like, what, six hours? I'm going to give up my whole day? Ugh. And then after that you're done, oh man, I went to the gym, I worked out, ooh, it feels so good. Could you just join us for an hour? Could you watch with us for one hour? Yeah. This isn't rocket science. If it was, Bob would, would be able to tell us all about that. But could you just, could we be a church of prayer? Could we be a church that knows how to fast and pray? Could we be a church that leads in this valley? I don't know why God chose us, but he did. He chose us to lead, so let's lead. Let's do what the, the difficult things, you know. The word sacrifice in the Bible, it, it just, it means the sacrifice that Jesus gave. And for us, we think we know how to sacrifice you sacrifice an hour in prayer. Oh. God bless you. That's wonderful on one hand. And on the other hand, it's nothing. <laughs> I am such a spaz when I preach. I'm like, <sighs> so when you leave here, remember this part. I love you. I want the best for you. Can't you get off your lazy? All right. <laughs> Wrap it up, Randy. My wife used to sit down front and she had this signal. Wrap, wrap it up. She's in the back now. I can't see her. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> but Paul's greatest encouragement is found in verse 31. That's the title of the message today. Whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. And again, let's go back to the way Greek is written. The last word in that verse is do. All things into the glory of God do. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The word do is a command, and it's, it's progressive. So it, it, it's action. It's, it's keep going. Don't stop. No limit to the, no end to this action of doing all things to the glory of God. Now, most Christians limit this command to only the spiritual activities that we are involved in, praying, teaching, worshiping, reading our Bible, we know all those things. 
when done humbly and prayerfully, are done to the glory of God. But friends, listen to me very carefully. I'm wrapping this thing up. This command is that everything we do, vacuuming our house, I'm bringing glory to God right now. Driving to work. Hallelujah. Oh, that guy just cut me off. Bless him, Lord. I want to kill him, but bless him. Washing the dishes. Oh, Lord, I'm sick and tired of washing dishes. But I'm a believer in Christ, and everything I do, I do for the glory of God. That's us. That's how we live. Everything we do is for the glory of God. If you resent the mundane things, you have an attitude like that, it's just going to get you in trouble. So let's focus on how doing things more cheerfully with a better attitude is going to allow the people that we love in our lives to watch us in those moments and go, man, Sally's crazy, isn't she? Look at her in there just worshiping God while she's doing dishes. Look at Bill. He's just vacuuming and just singing to himself. I wish I could be more like that. We are truly free in Christ. And we have his authority based on his death and his resurrection. And we are the people who, even though we are gloriously free, we will limit our freedoms if it's going to help other people come to know Jesus. Gordon Fee, one of my favorite professors, he wrote this. What rules is freedom. Freedom set in the context of benefit and education of others on the one hand and the glory of God on the other. So, what are you doing? The way you live right now, are you bringing God glory? Okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go after a couple of guys that just bug me right now, okay? No names, but, oh man, these guys bug me. I was on a plane one day, and uh, I was talking to the young man, the steward, and the Lord opened the door, and I'm witnessing to him, and all of a sudden he just goes, oh, oh, he goes, wait a minute, time out. He goes, you know, for years I worked at the Grand Wailea Hotel. If, you, oh, if you've never seen it, go look it up. It's glorious. It's in Maui. It's right on the coast. It's just so beautiful. He says, and we have a suite that's $10,000 a night, and one of your guys flies in every month and takes that suite, one of the TV evangelists. And I said, hey, man, don't kick every dog just because one bit you. We don't all live like that. See, I think that's abusive. I do. Uh, there's an evangelist out there that not only has one jet, but he has many jets. He's worth $760 million, and his preaching is prosperity, and that if you really love Jesus, you're going to be a multimillionaire. It's a bunch of hooey. It's not true. Now, he'll take care, he'll supply whatever your need is, 
But <laughs> that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that guy bugs me. Because when I'm sharing Christ, inevitably he, his name's brought up and the other guy's name is brought up. And I have to keep using my line, don't kick every dog. Just because one bit you. Let's not bite. I know, you know, that's one of the things you learn in Bible school. If you're going to be a pastor, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're a shepherd, you have sheep, sheep bite. They teach you that right up front. So I know that we all know how to bite. But let's not do it. And let's not be bitten. Let's be the people of God. Let's live lives that draw other people to Jesus. Okay, stand up. I'm going to close right now. Uh, some of you idolaters have a game to watch. pray for you. <laughs> Father, today, right now, we just humble ourselves before you. We are a wonderful congregation of believers who bite and get beat, bitten, and, and we want to stop all that, and we just want to live lives that please you. We want everything we do to bring you glory and honor and praise. And Lord, if anybody's here that are listening that just doesn't know you, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day that they say, you know what? I want to live for Christ. I want to be ready for judgment day. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And people who die and they've not allowed Jesus to be the Lord of their lives, they have to go to the great white throne judgment where they will be judged and punished for what they did wrong. But I'm telling you today, you don't have to go there. Why not, instead of going to the judgment where you're punished for what you did wrong, why not go to the judgment where you are rewarded for what you did right? And that is for everyone who invites Jesus into their hearts and says, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. That's good news, friends. I'm not going to bring up all the bad stuff. It's all done. It's all under the blood. He's going to reward you for what you did for him after you became a Christian. So let's do everything, everything, everything to bring glory and honor to God. When you're tempted, as you will be, when you're tested, as you will be, I want to remind you, God will show you the escape hatch. It'll be in a place where you least expect it, and he'll give you the strength to open that hatch and to get out safely. Lead all of us to that escape hatch. And Lord, right now, would you just, each one, just say the name of the person you'd like to invite to the uh, This stuff scares me. 
You know, I've been telling everybody about my friend across the street. And yesterday, God opened the door. They had a yard sale. I walked right over and said, hey, would you guys like to come with me to a dinner too? They said, we'd love to. It was just, it was just, hallelujah. It was just, now we'll see if they follow through. I bought, I'm, I'm, I'm securing their tickets. But um, put the pressure where it belongs, friends, on the Holy Spirit. We are the people of God. We want to influence people for righteousness. We need a season of salvation. It's time for people, once again, to start flooding our altars, getting saved. It's time for us. We go ahead and, and every month we go ahead and I told the guys go ahead and fill up the baptismal tank you never know somebody might be there that wants to get baptized and if that's you let me know before we go I'll baptize you we got water in there and uh, I'll take off my jacket roll up my sleeves and reach through there and dunk you in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Ghost depending on how much you've sinned how long I'm going to keep you under I love you guys. God bless you. Have a great week, everybody.